So just how sustainable was ITDG's approach? In the text, we use a four-sided framework of sustainability. For the rest of this audio, I'll be looking at the project in the light of those four main dimensions, starting with the actual technology itself. In fact, the design of the intervention was informed by lessons learned from mistakes that had been made in the past. We fell into the trap of uh, of trying to impose technologies on people, and I, I call that the techno dumping phase. New and unfamiliar technologies were. Dragged out of British industry and elsewhere around the world, and given to thrown at communities in, in the south. Appropriate technology institutions had become a sort of genre of their own, and spent all their time talking to each other. And they had conferences, and they all met each other, and they all talked to each other. And they, 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 they exchanged, um, you know, similar kinds of equipment. And I would hesitate to even mention some of them, but one of them was the four-person pedal-powered thresher. <laughs> we, we'd sort of lost our way a little bit. Carlos de la Torre was project leader for many years. He is very concerned about the relationship between technological change and culture. He sees culture in its broadest possible sense and believes that it is crucial in his work to appreciate the norms, values, and practices of the communities of the Andes. For Carlos, the success and the sustainability of the project depends upon the sensitivity with which it has been introduced to Quechua society. One of the reasons for this is the transparent handling of resources, so that budgets are clear, that people are informed about what is spent on what. Never before has a development agency asked their engineers to give accounts to the communal authorities. So I believe ethically we're very reputable. Another aspect which has brought us into the Quechua world has been to share their religious practices, which date back to very ancient times. They take into consideration all the cultural aspects. So if they have to make like a ritual every certain time, then they consider this and to give people the ability to to recognize themselves as important as with knowledge. Because I don't know, Peru is a a country where you have different different cultures. In one, only one place. It's also important to tap into the wisdom that the society already has. You might be able to achieve irrigation by other kinds of technological change, but that would be missing a number of key dimensions of campesino social life and technical knowledge. Irrigation water is not just water, but is also fertility. So,、uh, any any kind of system which is used to Distribute water has to take that into account. It has weed control properties when used in a certain way. You can use it to help in tillage by pre-soaking the, the fields、uh, and then breaking it up manually. You use it obviously for germination. Use it for growing plants and so forth. There's a whole understanding which sometimes the the、uh, the college trained technicians forgot. One of the most intriguing aspects of this project is that the design of the new irrigation technology. Builds upon the system that was used by the Incas. The major task that most of us have, have had to do、uh, in all parts of the world is reschool or deschool the experts, help them to get off that pedestal of the 
technical diploma or whatever it may be, the degree, and be able to sit on a level with the real experts who are the farmers who actually know the resources and help them to working together to develop alternatives. La metodología que se deriva este enfoque se traduce the methodology of our approach is expressed in the search for technical alternatives to a particular problem, but which come from people. How do they come from people? Through talking. So we organize events where people talk with people who come from different communities, some in the south and some in the north, who have never met each other since they rarely come to the market as Sikwani. And in these meetings they get together, debate and show each other how much they know. And I think these meetings stimulate new ideas. So all this theme of technical change is rooted in the exchanges between people. This leads almost imperceptibly to the institutional aspects of sustainability. At the core of ITDG's project was the need to introduce administrative and managerial structures, as well as new technologies. We incorporated what we call this advisory committee. It's a permanent body, which we, well, we meet with them about three or four times a year, and we reviewed the progress of the work, and, and we decide what, what's coming next. Um, they have the power of veto and they can say, well, we don't, we don't like to do this in that way. So incorporating their culture, incorporating their authorities, and also allowing different stakeholders in the community to make an opinion. One of the most important institutional changes was to regenerate the idea of Kamayok, some of whom we introduced in the video. These campesino-to-campesino trainers and innovators could help disseminate and build knowledge in all areas of agricultural activity, including irrigation and water management. The leaders of the ITDG program, they took a risk because they provided these technical assistance to these communities not by using professionals, but rather by using the peasant producers themselves, no? So that was the that was the model, no? And then the model has been successful from the perspective of producing these camayos. I mean, they have really produced uh, at least a dozen of good camayos. Sometimes when you start a new project, you have many doubts about different stakeholders, whether how to start this, how to incorporate this priority, how to go ahead with this. And they were so, so beneficial, so useful in this. And also to correct us, and also to help local families to make decisions also. I think without Camayo, we couldn't have achieved what we achieved. And now, for us, when we talk about sustainability, it is sustainable because they will be there, they will stay there. The Kamayok are agents of change on more than one level. In fact, one of the aims of their introduction was to bring a new market to the area, a market in technical information. We asked Gonzalo La Cruz and Manuel Glauc about the sustainability of the Kamayok in such monetary terms. We don't think that the Kamayok now work as a kind of perfect, poor, capitalist market, because they are not paid in cash most of the time. They are paid sometimes in kind, they are, they are promised a payment at the end of the seasonal period with harvest and so on. But we think that it is crucial, it's important that we strengthen relationships between people. 
and Camayo have proved to be more efficient than an external professional. What do people want? They would like to have one expert from Davis University, Cornell, or from Reddy University. They would like somebody there, and they want to pay less than $1 per hour service. That's what they want. That's not real, right? They can pay one or two soles for each, and the one who can provide the best advice in that circumstances are the Camayoc. There is a sort of categories of Camayos. Camayos class A, Camayos class B, Camayos class C. Camayos class A really have a local market. They really can survive selling their services. I would say that there are no more than a dozen of Camayos class A. For these dozen Camayos, I really believe that there is a local market. And I really believe that these local Camayos will really be professionals of, of providing local services of, of technical assistance. But for the other Camayos, I am not sure what will be the, the future of them and more than the uh, usefulness of, of having been in this experience for them as an individual, as a family. No? Economists define sustainability in terms of livelihoods. And this is a key part of many people's understanding of the term. If this development program can claim to be sustainable, we'd expect to see an improvement in people's livelihoods not just for the Kamayok, but also the wider community of which they are part. Certainly in the, the six original communities which were, which were targeted, the changes in most of those communities are immediately noticeable. The better allocation of the resources in terms of water, that, that's a first step. But beyond that, it, it is, um, my colleagues will put it, it's, it's how inclusive the society is to, to accept those people and, and to enable them to, to share in the benefits of, of the wider society. It is very much looking at a way of bringing that community up to a level where it can now integrate with the, uh, the modern sector in ways which are, which are beneficial. Right now, for example, the Camayocs, they can find jobs in another institutions that if you could think about this five years ago, it was almost impossible. Nobody was going to hire just a, a peasant to do some technical training. So for me, I think is the most important. I remember that, for example, there is one Camayoc, he has one daughter, and she has already finished school, and she wanted to go to the university. And nobody from that village has ever gone to the university. Right now she's studying at the Cusco University. So for me, it, it was like, oh my God, they are really sensing, doing something good because they are improving the ability of the people. But not all Campesina women have such opportunities. We asked Carlos de la Torre about livelihoods in the community more generally. I think that if we did a diagnosis at the beginning of our work, we would have found that there are up to five or six different social strata within the Campesino community. At home, there are men and women who find themselves in different situations. These studies found that women have a distinct position. Amongst women, there are certain types, because a married woman and her situation are very different to that of a widow who still has children and grandchildren to look after. I remember that uh, there was a time in which the project was concerned about the rights of the widows, because widows, they didn't have too much power inside, a inside the community. So there was a concern to improve the access to the water for women, 
who were household heads. And besides that, with the gardens, there was an improvement on the participation of the women because they were the, usually the ones who took charge of the gardens. And because there were there were sales of the vegetables in the market too, then they could have some type of income. But at the same time, it usually would mean that they have to work longer because they have to take charge of the garden at the same time of the of this household and agricultural chores. The difficulties can be particularly acute for families in the more remote mountain communities. Life is hard. There's, there's no, no getting around it. And it's hard for everybody. But sometimes when you're tucked away at 4,300 metres, six hours walk away from the road, and it's bitterly cold and snowing. There are attractive lights down the valley. You know, the kids move. Um, and it's, uh, it, 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 they don't always go back. Even in the lower parts of the valley, there's a lot of migration. Basically, 90% of the kids go away from the fields to the cities, and it's really they don't have enough resources to survive. But the, the other phase of the, of the challenge is really the inability of the urban market economy to absorb this migration to the cities. No? So they really are marginalized in the cities, and they face a huge pressure upon their natural resources in the field. If this society don't come up with a solution in the urban market economy and this society don't really transform the productivity with the natural resources in the field, it may be a tragedy you know, in the middle term. And this is where the livelihoods of campesinos in the Vilcanota Valley intersect with the national picture. If you accept Gonzalo La Cruz's interpretation of how this happens, it puts the project's sustainability into a whole new light. If we talk about the whole society, the Peruvian society, I must say that until now, the modern sector has been unable to provide enough employment and a solution for the poor. This is something which has to do with development. Uh, well, some analysts call divide the economy in terms of the modern, uh, the traditional, or the underdeveloped, or the black, or the informal sector, whatever you want to call this. What we find is that you have a modern area developed, which work under rules of capitalism, with true developed markets, with people properly employed, and pro proper employment or adequate employment is the one which provides enough income for people for a decent living. However, this farming system, this economic unit, works as a kind of huge social unemployment system. So, you know, those who cannot be employed in the modern sector are employed here. Unemployment also exists in the developed countries, but they have so much surpluses and savings that they can pay for the unemployed directly, right? The safety nets there are more developed. The peasant community is a kind of a safety net. The modern economy couldn't exist and work without this, and this is not recognized. So we get to the fourth and final dimension of our sustainability framework. If agriculture is supporting the modern sector, it's even more important that it's done in an ecologically responsible way, which doesn't endanger the physical resources. If nothing's done in the valley, there will be an erosion of water resources, of soil and genetic resources. 
and that's evident anywhere in, in the Andes. They're very fragile ecosystems. And so a do-nothing approach is going to be ecologically very damaging. Fortunately, fortunately, farmers have been trained and prepared to manage it properly by the team and also by the canarios also. They don't use too much pesticides. They don't use too much uh, non-organic material. In general, we're contributing towards the environment. It's not a perfect record. There has been some salination, mainly in areas where communities haven't fully cooperated with the team. There has been some loss of traditional knowledge about, for example, Inca ways of preventing soil erosion or harvesting local medicines. But Patrick Malvani broadly agrees with Gonzalo La Cruz. The, the whole design of the programme rests on there being uh, better management of the water resources. That, that's its initial purpose. And so each of the communities that have been involved ha have been very careful to utilise that water resource better. And it's quite interesting because it's not just, uh, as you described earlier, it's not, it's not just the water resource itself, it's the fertility it brings, it's the way in which it's used, but it's also the source of the water, um, the springs, and protection of those springs. It's the protection of the uh, water resources from which the springs draw their own um, resource. The stewards of those sources of water are the campesinos in the remote communities at the top of the valley. Communities at the bottom of the valley play a different but equally important role. So the tough challenge is to build a holistic approach to sustainability. It's not just constructing new forms of livelihood and alternatives to migration. It's finding ways of sustaining all Quechua communities wherever they are in the valley. A perfect example of how interconnected the different faces of sustainability are. That longer-term environmental sustainability uh, is very dependent on people. It's dependent on people having a long-term vision of where they are now and not seeing it as simply a resource to utilise and waste. At the moment, I think the evidence is that the youth in the slightly better-off communities are more likely to stay, or at least have some kind of roots in those communities, whereas those in the most remote communities are probably not. And I think that the... The realisation is going to come, I mean it is coming now with very few people, but, but I think it's going to become as a, a mass realisation, that the livelihood of the communities in the bottom of the valley depends on healthy communities at the top of the valley. Because if those communities die, then the water sources die. Then the, 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 um, the, the, the livestock industry dies. I mean, there's a whole set of cascading effects, impacts. And I think that uh, the time's fast coming where, where that integration becomes a necessity and not just a desirable addition. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.